Welcome back to Sloydcast. This is your host, Mark Angelini, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Hanna, 60K Sloyd. And, uh, geez, we missed a month. Yeah. But that's part of podcasting. It's not always easy to mesh your life, your livelihood, <laughs> and scheduling all into one package. So yeah. we made it happen. Um, and we have a really fantastic guest today. We're joined by Zed Shah also known as Zed Outdoors, and uh, really excited to talk to you today, Zed. Um, I've been, ever since you started making videos, I think I've been hip to it. Uh, gosh, it's probably been a while now. Yeah. Um, but if you don't know Zed, he makes really fantastic, I guess, they're kind of like documentary style tutorial videos is how I would, I guess, build them. Mm. Um, but you've talked to makers all across the UK and I guess some other parts of, of Europe. Is that right? Um, yeah, it's, um, it's primarily at the moment, the UK. Um, I did okay. have plans to be filming abroad in Europe, but a, a small, mm. small issue called a pandemic. <laughs> so you, you may have heard of it. Um, so that kind of kicks in. So that kind of scuppered plans over the past two years, but primarily, yes, it's, it's been in the UK. Um, mm -hmm. A slight caveat to that in regards to kind of, you know, craftspeople from outside of the UK. The UK is quite a hub. So we've got a lot of kind of right. craftspeople coming in from from outside of the UK, be it temporarily or kind of relocating here. So I've been making a few inroads into kind of uh, quote unquote non-British craftspeople as well. Mm. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. So can you let us know where you live and, and give us a little bit of a insight into what your life is like? Um, I don't, I don't know what you do for a living. I don't know if the video making is your full-time thing. I'm, I'm guessing it's not based on our conversations we've had in the, behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, give us a little rundown of your life, Zed. Sure. So I'm born and raised in, in London. Um, I have okay. lived in different parts of the UK and abroad. Um, so I've lived in mainland Europe for a while. Um, I've done quite a bit of traveling back in the day. So I've traveled to most of Europe. I've traveled to a lot of mm. North Africa, Middle East, uh, South wow. Asia, Southeast Asia. Um, so up until I would say kind of my my kind of early, early 30s, um, I did a lot mm -hmm. of traveling and moving around. Uh, my mm. background is actually in social services. So I worked in social okay. services for many years in pretty rough, uh, rough London boroughs. So that mm, was, um, mm, that, that, that was quite challenging work. I really enjoyed it, mm. but I got kind of burnt out towards the end. Mm, and so mm. I transitioned into, um, running my own therapy practice. So while I was oh, working nice. in social services, I trained up in psychotherapy and, and, and whatnot. Mm. And then I opened up my own practice in the East end of London. Um, and then from there, I kind of, that started to go really well, but then I lost my business in around about 09. So after the 08 crash. Mm, um, yep. So I lost my business mm. in, in around about 09, towards the end of 09. And long story short, while setting up my practice, I, I learned a lot about marketing. So I had to kind uh. of dive in a deep end to learn about marketing in order to mar market my own business. And True. so I ended up getting an, um, a kind of an un unofficial apprenticeship with an advertising firm in London. Hmm. And, um, I kind of sweet talked my way a little bit into it, you know, so, <laughs> um, I got into that and fast forward, I, I started to enjoy marketing quite a bit to the extent I just hmm. 
do it full time now. So mm, as of nice. a, as of a few years ago, I left the firm and I set up for myself. Um, and I had an office in central London for a while. And then uh, a few years ago, I transitioned to a home office because all my work is virtual. Mm. So mm, um, okay. a lot of my clients, um, <clears throat> even up until now, are predominantly US based. So, huh. um, so I have traveled to the US quite a bit for my work. Okay. Um, nice. And um, this is more of a compliment to you guys. I typically find the American clients a lot better than European clients. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. You guys are pretty more straightforward when it comes to work. And I really like that. So, nice. so I, I kind of primarily work with a lot of American clients. Um, and so oh. I transitioned to a home office um, a few years ago. So when the pandemic did kick in, so I was quite fortunate. I was already mm. set up for working at home. Um, so that's my kind of main business. That's my bread and butter. Nice. That's, that's, that's kind of what I do full time. Um, okay. And then it was about, gosh, how long has it been now since I started Z Outdoors? I think it's been six years ago, roughly. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I started a channel. And um, a lot of that came about because I've always been, I mean, I'm a typical uh, townie, right? So I'm a typical <laughs> Londoner typical urban guy and um up until kind of six seven years ago i literally couldn't tell you the name of a single tree i couldn't do mm. anything right i was like a mm. proper duck out of water but the one thing that i did have was i had a real resonance with the outdoors um mm. and i just really enjoyed my time whenever i did spend time hiking outside or whatnot um and then it was roughly six years or so ago i went on a um a week-long course run by a couple of former British Army guys. Um, mm. And it's an outdoor-driven course where during the period of the week, you kind of uh, get involved in, in a multitude of different skills from foraging, from knife skills to building shelters, mm. filtering water, nice. etc. cetera. Um, and it was also a, a small workshop that we did on carving a spoon. So nice. um, that was all kind of part and parcel of it. And I didn't really go in with any expectations. I kind of went on to the course. Um, and up until then, I was consuming a little bit of content, mainly to do with the bushcraft scene and kind of the outdoor scene. Yeah. Um, and and it was still kind of very early days for that space on YouTube. And so I I started to consume a bit of content. And at that time, I had this really dodgy flip camera Um and I don't know if you remember <laughs> those. Those were made by Kodak. I do, yeah. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. my yeah. wife has one. Oh, wow. And, and I'll tell you what, it's that old. That it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work anymore, right? And, and Kodak no longer exists. That's how old the camera right. is. And yeah. um, so I actually had that from a work that I was doing. We had to film a couple of little kind of um, videos for projects I was working on. Um, yeah. And so very ad hoc, I started just filming stuff on that, like very, very mm. rough and ready. Um, and that week-long course actually documented using that that camera. Um, and then since then, I kind of I started to get a bit of a bug for the outdoors mm. and natural crafts, and um, and also the documenting as well. Um, mm. So when I first documented for the first kind of one or two years, I had a lot of um, how can I put it? I had a lot of anxiety around video, being on video, because mm. um, mm. I'm not that way inclined. I'm not naturally extroverted i'm not i'm not that way at all i'm quite introverted mm -hmm. i'm very much to myself um and so sticking a camera in front of you you know and talking <laughs> to it was really daunting yeah. um and so i kind of but i just kind of did it and I actually stopped for a while 
because I was really, really paranoid about how I came mm. across on video. Um, and it was actually a friend of mine who's, who was then a very established YouTuber. And um, he kind of taught me around. He goes, look, you know, you're, you're, you're really good in front of video. Just don't stop, you know, just keep going. <laughs> so it was a little pep talk that kind of kept me going. Um, oh, good. And so, so yeah, so that's kind of, that was my kind of fall rate into, into kind of what I do with Z Outdoors. Huh. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I, I remember some of your early videos, they definitely were more like a bushcraft focus. Um, and it seems like you branched out over time into covering a lot more of the Sloyd and green woodworking and spoon carving and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like, in, oh, sorry. No, no, so sorry. Please continue. I was just going to say, it seems like in the UK, bushcraft is in really popular too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I used to watch Ray Mears back in the day. Um, and I know he's had a huge impact on just British outdoor culture. Um, here, bushcraft's not really so much a term. I mean, you don't really hear it so much. I mean, yeah. the, obviously the practice exists, um, right. but it's not the same. I think in the UK, it's a little bit more, maybe it has to do with the culture and the landscape. Um, here, the outdoor culture is just much different. It's not, yeah. it's not, there is a, a bushcraft culture, but it's definitely a niche of a bigger, you know, whatever you want to call it, outdoor scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, what it is with the bushcraft in the UK, um, when it comes to terms like bushcraft and woodcraft and whatever else you want to use, to me, a lot of it's kind of semantics, right? Because yeah. intrinsically, the if you look at the traits of bushcraft itself, for example, things like um, foraging, uh, plant ID, uh, making natural shelters, et cetera, et cetera, those skills have been going on for, for a millennia. So right. people have been doing that regardless. So even Ray Mears, Ray Mears, not that he, he says he does, but he obviously didn't invent bushcraft. What he did do was <laughs> obviously, yeah. pop popularize it, right? So right, right. Uh, mm -hmm. when he teamed up with the BBC, um, I mean, I know some of the guys, I actually know his, his instructor. So it's a guy hmm. called John Ryder, who's based here in the south okay. of England. And um, it, he's an old boy who still runs a school um, here based in the south of England. Um, and he was actually one of the ogs so he he's not really mm. well known outside of the bushcraft space but he was the one that essentially kind of was the backbone of woodlaw mm. uh, um, and ray mears um okay and so so he's kind of been around for a long time and what ray mears did and full credit to him he done it really well was he kind of popularized it through the multiple series that he did on the bbc sure. um sure. and that's even how i came to first hear about it many many years ago um, hmm. And in terms of the practice itself, yeah, in terms of, I always find it really fascinating because I deal with a lot of Americans day to day, even within the quote unquote bushcraft space. I deal with a lot of guys out in the US. Um, mm -hmm. And it's interesting how over the years I've come to really learn a lot of the the kind of innate differences kind of between the two, even though we share, we share a lot of familiarity. Um, mm -hmm. Intrinsically, things are very different because what you've got, and obviously this is a very broad generalization what i'm about to say but in in america you've got much more of a kind of frontier mentality right yeah, um, yeah and obviously true. simply because of the history of the u.s um right. and also as well in the u.s is we, we were just touching on this just that, um before this uh, uh uh discussion started offline and that is just the sheer size as well of the u.s mm -hmm. you know i mean it's like gargantuan 
right in the US. Um, I think I think when I checked online, I think the close I think the state that you have that's roughly similar size to the whole of the United Kingdom is Louisiana. Um, oh, interesting. So yeah, wow. unless someone can kind of correct me, I did have a look online because I'm I'm always fascinated <laughs> about these weird kind of in, bits of information. Yeah, me too. Um, wow. And so yeah, so the state of Louisiana is basically yeah. the same size of the United Kingdom. Um, That's crazy. So just to kind of give you some perspective, <laughs> wow. right? Um, yeah, sure. And so so when you combine the fact you've got the frontier mentality in the United States, you've got the sheer size of the United States, and obviously yeah. you've got the essentially the extremes in terrain and weather and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You've got a very different kind of fabric, right, in terms of the kind of the day-to-day and the kind of general mindset. So coming back mm-hmm. round in America, once again, this is a broad generalization, for a lot of the guys out in the US, including you guys, it's kind of more of just a way of life, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, yeah, you can give it all these fancy names, but at the end of the day, it's kind of day-to-day life, right? Um mm-hmm. Whereas in the UK, it is day-to-day life for certain aspects of society, um, but more so it's it's kind of more of a thing, right? Mm. That's been given names and kind of terms and whatnot. Um, so so that's why for us, it's kind of a bit more, how can I put it? It's We've, we've kind of turned it into more of a sport sort of thing, right? Mm. Rather than yeah. an actual kind of way of life, right? Now, obviously, yeah, I don't yeah. say that to sound demeaning to, to what it is, but um, here it's kind of more of a weekend thing. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you have very few people here you'll meet are kind of living it day to day. Right. Um, mm, right. And um, the ones that are kind of living it day to day, just like you said, they don't call it bushcraft. For them, it's just normal day to day life. Um, mm-hmm. And so here in the UK, it's a very different kind of mindset to it. Um, and there's no kind of better or worse way of doing it. It's just different, you know. Um, and so when you come back to the UK, our kind of attitude towards bushcraft yeah you had rain mirrors that popularized it then it was kind of just there it, it kind of didn't really change up until i would say the late um 2010s you know roughly mm. um <clears throat> and really i i think the big catalyst was social media so mm-hmm. um Makes sense. it was it was a couple of things that kind of happened and this is once again just my own thoughts on it i believe that yeah. a social media was a huge catalyst so it opened up the doors to to a multitude of skills and disciplines where people wouldn't have normally been privy to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, the British like an excuse to meet up, right? So this is one thing. <laughs> this is one thing we really. I've come to the conclusion we always want an excuse to meet up to drink lots of tea and and sandwiches. Right? <laughs> so 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 so, and so, me, so that's it. So meeting up to to do craft, to do bushcraft, campaign, etc. If, if, if it's an excuse to do that, that's it. We're all in, right? Um, and so so once you combine that with the fact we like meetups, we're sticklers for, you know, um, organizations and this and that, um, and then you combine it with the fact that comparatively to the US, we're a small country, that most places in, especially in England, most places are like within two, three, four hours driving. Right. Right. Yeah. So once you combine the fact we like to meet up, we're a small country. Most things are within driving distance. Um, yeah. And, you know, once you combine all of that, hence why the kind of the way things are done in the UK for crafts meetups, for bushcraft meetups, et cetera, we, have, we kind of have a certain way of doing it. Hence why it is literally now, especially now that things are kind of semi-returning back to normal. Um, I mean, 
I'm not even joking. You could be going to meetups every single week, like two, three, four, five meetups a week, you know, Hmm. um, events coming out of your ear hole, you know, in terms of the (laughs) amount of events that are going on. I still hear about events. I'm like, where did that come from? You know, uh, I thought I heard of most of them. And next minute it's like this event and that event. I'm like, bloody hell. Um, And so all the time there's events going on. And so therefore the kind of overarching kind of mentality in terms of the UK, how we do things is kind of more geared towards that. Uh, Whereas in the US, um, yeah, obviously you guys have events, but obviously once again, because of the gargantuan size of the US, um, it's not feasible to kind of be traveling across the different states on a regular basis yeah no right. you know? yeah absolutely and we don't have the train system that you guys have <laughs> yeah i mean that even that I've, I've that fascinates me as well in terms of the transport system within the u.s you know oh yeah um <laughs> you obviously got the highways you've got the freeways you've got the the the, the um the transportation within the train networks and whatnot um because obviously i appreciate a lot of that was built up until maybe the mid-1900s yeah. um and then since then, not a huge amount of investment has been made. Um, no, in, in, no, in, in, <laughs> in, the, in, in the US, right? Um, and this yeah. is why when I go, and this is not what I'm about to say is not to sound as a as a criticism. Yeah, there are pros and cons to kind of things the way they're done in the UK and vice versa in the US. But yeah. when you go to the US, it does blow my mind that how, um, and I need to tread carefully here because. Uh, it's like in terms of like the way so many so much of the infrastructure is outdated. Um, yeah, oh yeah. In, oh yeah. In, in in the US, and you're thinking obviously mm-hmm. it's testament to how good the infrastructure was when it was first built. You know right. that that it's still lasting, but when you look at where it is today in terms of the overarching infrastructure, um, I don't yeah. think a lot of Americans realize until they actually travel outside of the US, um, yeah. like how far behind it's gotten. You know, yeah. the state mm-hmm. of the infrastructure. Um, I've yeah. got a friend of mine. I, I always tell this to American friends that if you ever have the opportunity, make sure you spend some time outside the US. You know, yeah. go to Southeast Asia, go to parts of the Middle East, go to parts of Europe. Um, yeah. and, and once again, everywhere has its problems. But when you look at how it's only when you go somewhere else are you then able to gauge the difference. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. you just, yeah. um, and I get it. You know, you kind of do one place, you think, okay, this is just the way things are done. But then you realize actually they're not, you know, right. Um, right. and stuff. But yeah, without treading too much into politics, yeah, it's. Um... You can you can critique us. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We can, we can spent... take it. We can take it, Sad. That's yeah, it. That's it. I'm, I'm at a safe distance here. Um, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, but. but I spent. So, so, go ahead, so, so, please go ahead. Please. I was going to say, I spent some time in the UK. I was there for just about two weeks and I was thoroughly impressed with the amount of. Uh, infrastructure you guys have for transportation and how well it worked yeah there, 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 there's here. a there's a really good youtube channel i'm trying to remember his name i think it's called yeah. um i think it's called what was it called again something like no more bikes something uh-huh. along them sort of lines now he's an american so he's a canadian guy who's lived in different parts of canada and worked he's li- worked and lived in different parts of the us um he's lived in the uk he's lived and worked in southeast asia and in other parts of Europe. And now he's settled down in the Netherlands. Um, mm. But it's a really good channel because his speciality is urban planning. Mm. Um, and he really breaks it down in terms of why certain things work in terms of urban planning and why they don't. Um, 
that right. is extremely critical of North America. Um, mm. But he breaks down specifically why. And a lot of the things are to do with, you know, the way um, urban planning is done um, right. throughout North America, but also the way the whole system around building, you know, um, uh, different urbanized areas, industrial areas, the, the kind of the highways, the freeways, how a lot of that right. is actually a business. You know, mm -hmm. so a yeah. lot of it is not actually designed to last a very long time. Um, right. So, but right. yeah, without kind of going into all of that, it's a really good channel. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it, 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 not just bikes. I just looked it up. Not just bikes. That's the one. Um, yeah. And um, it's a really fascinating <clears throat> channel. And he's not just critical for the sake of it. He's very specific, you know, in terms mm. of, you know, why things work and why things don't. Um, yeah. But with, but with North America, yeah, he talks a lot about that, that the way he's very critical about how, um, you know, how, there's a lot to be improved, you know, within the For infrastructures. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, just I grew up in Michigan and um, they probably have some of the worst roads in the country. Um, and it's an ongoing joke. I mean, to the point where General Motors, they designed a car that had sensors on it so that it would it would see a pothole coming and it would make the tire bounce like a, like an inch <laughs> off the ground so that your tire would bounce wow. over the pothole. I'm not kidding. That, that not is kidding. crazy. That's incredible. But, but the, one, yeah. the one thing I will say, though, it is, it is kind of sad to see that, you know, because um, you think what a difference it will make to, to be putting that investment back into good quality infrastructure um, right. and um, the way it will kind of obviously benefit the economy, day-to-day -day life, et cetera. But yeah, um, yeah, I forgot why we went on to this tangent with, with well, the kind that, of it, urban planning, but yeah, <laughs> it is. It all it all ties into it is it it is uh well the way you described it actually is really clear for me because we've we've been asked and we've we've discussed between ourselves like what almost all of our guests are British mm -hmm. so far and like why are there so many British people into this and as you're going through this um even though it's a tangential subject it's right. really making it clear to me how the cultural differences are very stark between the U.S. and the U.K. in particular right and I it even sounds like from other parts of Europe and, and other parts of the world, obviously. Um, Cause I'm just thinking about here. I mean, everything's so far apart. We and actually, this is another tangent, but I've, I've been really into watching parkour the past like year, two years. Oh, right. <laughs> and uh, there's these guys in the UK store and uh, I watch a lot of their videos, but anyway, they go across the UK and it's like, they're in a little town. And I mean, it looks like what we would call like a city. Yeah. And, but it's just some little town, you know, so it's just interesting to see how the landscape and the way it's designed and yeah. and laid out affects the culture to such a degree where, like you're saying, like bushcraft is this hobby sport mm. thing where people do it on the weekend and they, they find right. excuses to go get together and, and do this thing. Yeah. Whereas here it's, it is just such more a way of life, especially where we live. We're in a much more rural area. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly a way of life. There's like a archetype of the, the typical country boy has got a, a lifted Toyota truck and a, a bear, a bear dog cage on the back and a radio antenna, you know, and that's just, that's just how people live. Like they have bear dogs, they go hunt bears. They, yeah. you know, they're outside all the time. They split their own wood. It's just, yeah. And it's nothing to them. I mean, it's like t totally normal. Yeah, yeah um, it's, um, that's that's very common across the country from what I've seen outside of the yeah. cities. I mean, if you go to a city, it's obviously much different. But yep, yep. Um, yeah, bushcraft here and craft is a necessity rather than, you know, I need to I want to learn this because I have time on the weekend <laughs> to engage in a hobby. Yeah. And, and, and that I totally respect. And for me, that's a lot more 
I guess one could say more authentic, you know, because it just is. It's just the way that, of life out there. Um, yeah. And here in the UK, coming back to this whole kind of issue of it being a hub, is something that I didn't really too, think about too much for, for quite a while. Um, it was only when I started noticing. Um, so, for example, one of the big signs for me is the event uh, Spoonfest. Okay, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Spoonfest is somewhat hundred percent. Unless you guys have already heard from like a million other people, is a must attend, right? <laughs> for 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 all things spoon yeah. carving. Um, and where it started to hit me was where year on year the contingent for Spoonfest was more of an international contingent. You know, yeah. um, so we had big groups coming over from all over mainland, mainland Europe. Um, mm. We had a couple of guys come from North Africa. Uh, there's a big contingent coming from Israel. We had guys, obviously, huh. a lot of folk coming over from from both the US and Canada. Um, yeah. There were lots coming over from Australia and New Zealand. Um, and mm. that coupled with, obviously, the videos that I do, I started to yeah. realize that. And once again, it wasn't a conscious thing in the, in, in the beginning, like how the UK it kind of became a hub for a lot of things mm -hmm. kind of green woodworking and spoon carving. But as I started right. to think about it more and more, I started to realize actually these things that seem normal to us here in the UK, for example, lots of meetups, most things with being within driving distance, um, lots of gatherings, be they small kind of, you know, a few of us getting together to kind of more larger meetups and gatherings. Once you kind of brought all that together and also the kind of the, the sharing of skills as well, which is a big thing in the UK right mm -hmm. um uh -huh. once you kind of brought all that together I, I started to appreciate more and more when i started to meet and, and hear from a lot of people that would come from outside the uk to kind of essentially kind of pay pilgrimage right mm -hmm. like they'll come to the uk and, and it's like they were like in heaven you know they were like <laughs> going to loads of meetups and going this and immersing themselves <laughs> and you would hear all the yeah. time that they don't really have that you know um where they where they live for example a lot of the guys in mainland europe for some reason once again i think a lot of it's a cultural thing as well where yeah. you know the the meetups is not really a thing so for example i know a lot of uh, very talented carver uh, carvers and, and craftsmen from uh, germany austria and uh, switzerland so kind mm -hmm. of the whole german-speaking region um i always ask them why is it you guys don't have your meetups you know um and it's like one so one of our friends um verner i'm not sure if you know verner Werner Fuchs. Mm. So he's yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, so he's he's based in Munich in the south of Germany. Very, very talented guy. Yeah. And I had, a, I had a long chat with him about it. So he organizes a meetup, but he was quite blunt in saying that the Germans are just not that way inclined. You mm -hmm. know, they're not that way inclined to kind of be mm. really jolly and sociable and organize meetups. He goes, they all just keep themselves to themselves. <laughs> Um, mm, interesting. Same with a lot of Scandinavia. I've heard that as well. You know, yeah, people they yeah. just kind of get on with it. Um, and in other parts of Europe, although it is kind of steadily changing now, they just don't have the numbers to kind of warrant them organising meetups. Um, mm, sure. And so a lot of it, you know, the the UK just naturally became this massive hub, you know, for mm. people coming over um, to kind of attend all the events and gatherings and whatnot. Um, Hence why we kind of, I always say this, we kind of spoil here a little bit, you know, <laughs> um, because there's so much going on. Um, and now, especially now that things are kind of relatively returning back to normal, you know, minus the kind of being on, on the verge of World War III. Apart from that, um, you've got, you've got just a little thing, just that little thing. Um, apart, from, <laughs> apart from that, 
Um, you know, you, you start to notice now a lot of the roster of events coming back to normal. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. And so. That's good. Optimistic. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting. I mean, it's great too because all of the the stuff that's gone on in the UK has really catapulted spoon carving and and woodcraft and Sloyd and bushcraft and all this stuff to the forefront and made it just very popular across the world. <clears throat> yeah, um, it's um it's an interesting as well because I I'm continuously and I'm, and I'm very grateful to be in that position, but. It's more or less a daily thing. I'll get tagged or messaged from, for example, mm. a lot of people in the US um, yeah. mm -hmm. about how, and they're, they're, always, they're always kind of typically iterate a very similar story where it's not necessarily feasible for them to to go and, and meet other people, you know, yeah. because right. of the distance, et cetera. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a very, very common thing to get a lot of messages from those out in the US um, mm. saying yeah. how grateful they are to get access to that information. You know, um, oh yeah, for sure. Because it's just, it's just, and I, and I totally appreciate that. You know, because once again, I know it's not logistically and practically feasible for people to go travel long distances and whatnot um, to yeah. kind of get access to that information. So, so yeah, that's always a reminder as well how things are very different. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. ac across the pond. Yeah. yeah, I can I can say for me, your videos Zed were were so instrumental in helping me learn how to spoon carve as well as um, how to how to turn on a pole lathe. I mean, those were. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I watched the videos that you made uh, Sharif. with Sharif Adam. I mean, I, you know, skip replay, skip replay. I mean, it was just so helpful for me to learn, and that's how I that's how I did learn actually how to turn on a pole lathe was just watching those videos. That's 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 very kind of you to say so. And yeah, full credit to Sharif. Um, yeah, I was very honored. He he kind of he said yes to kind of filming. Um, <laughs> And uh, because up until then, apart from, I think some videos from Ben Orford, um, mm, yes. I think apart mm -hmm, from yeah. that, there wasn't really yeah. information online. Um, no. And no, I, there wasn't. I, I was very, very eager to kind of, you know, document as much as I could. At the same time, I also appreciated certain people were very, how can I put it? How can I say this diplomatically? They were very averse to kind of sharing their information, right? Sure. Um, yeah. And so... When I first spoke to Sharif, um, I didn't know he was already familiar with my work. Um, mm. And so when we spoke, the moment I asked him, it was an emphatic yes. You know, he goes, yeah. um, he goes, he actually wanted to speak to me to say, look, mm -hmm. you know, would you be interested mm. in doing these videos? That's um, awesome. Nice. And um, it took an incredible amount of planning um, to do the yeah. videos because it's one thing um, teaching the information, but my brain works in quite an OCD format. So, <laughs> so when I'm looking yeah. at a particular skill, it could be anything, spoon carving, bowl turning, anything. My brain switches into, okay, how, how we need to be as formulaic as possible, okay, mm -hmm. when we're covering this subject. And as much right. as is possible, I'm always trying to put my mind into the mind of the viewer. Mm. And thinking, what would he or she be asking right now? What questions would they have? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so as much as is possible, um, you know, I'm always trying to address as much as I can. So it's it's formulaic, it's structured, um, basically like a syllabus. Um, and also, yeah. you know, we answer pretty much any potential questions someone will have, you know. Because right. um, right. my thing is, if I'm going to cover a topic, I'm always eager to cover it in its entirety, hence... Right. the the longer yeah. format 
you know. Yeah. Um, and that was always a, a tricky one for me, especially in the early days, because the kind of the, the quote unquote algorithm on YouTube would suggest that you do shorter videos, punchy, right. straight to the point. And I right. thought to myself, I get it. They have more appeal. More people will watch them, etc. But I had to have a long sit down with myself and think and say to myself, yeah. what is it I'm trying to actually do here? Right. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with creating an entertaining video on how to turn a bowl. But right. my thoughts always came back to the same conclusion. That was, yeah, I could do some snazzy 10-minute video, right? Yeah. That's going to teach yeah. you how to you know, turn a bowl and it will be all you know, fancy edited and whatnot. But the reality mm -hmm. is you're not going to learn anything, right? right? Um, and yeah. there's going to be so much information that's going to be left out. Hence why I kind of just completely threw the rule book out the window when it came to the length of videos, because my thing right. is I even when I'm working with craftspeople now, I'm starting to get back into the diary of booking in craftspeople now. Um, and one of the questions always comes up and that is, um, oh, well, how long should we make the video? And I'm like, we don't, we don't think about <laughs> it, long, right? As long as it needs to be, right? As long as we get all the information across, it could be 30 minutes. It could be two hours. I don't care. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, at, Absolutely. At, at no point do I want to think, damn, you know what? We really should have talked about this or we really should have done that. Mm. Um, yeah. Because for me, my focus is, is to put as, as detailed information as possible out there. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's there for kind of time, time immortal, right? It's always there. Um, and also as well for that cross person that I'm collaborating with, it allows them to really kind of pour their heart and soul into mm -hmm. every nuance, you know, yeah. of, of information. So, so I still get kind of some, you know, criticism in terms of, oh, the videos are too long and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I know, but first and foremost, you very quickly learn people are going to complain no matter what, right? Exactly. It could be a short <laughs> video. It could be a long video. People are going to complain, right? That's the that's first the, thing. That's the way the world goes around. Right? So it's like a podcast. You could be, oh, I've got, I've got, I haven't got time to sit down for an hour. Right? You yeah. do you do a 20-minute podcast and it's like, oh, it's too short. You know? Um, <laughs> so it's like, no matter what you do, people are going to complain, right? Um, yeah. So my thing is, is that I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, my focus is, yes, to kind of film it in, in, in as nice a way as possible. But really, my focus is the actual information. You know, so yeah, if yeah. you read the title of the video, I always have one simple goal. By the end of that video, you should learn how to do that thing. Sure. That's it. Yeah. End of, right? Yeah. If there's right. a video, yeah. how to turn a wooden bowl on a pole lathe, guess what? <laughs> By the time you watch that video, you should learn how to turn a wooden bowl on a pole lathe. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and if at any yeah. point, oh, you didn't talk about <laughs> this, oh, you didn't talk about that, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, then really, I haven't done my job properly. Um, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. coming back to someone like Sharif, who you mentioned, um, I mean, he was an absolute trooper. Um, and yeah, that took so much work, um, yeah, planning man. every nuance of what are we going to talk about? Make sure no stone is left unturned, filming every scene, making sure we covered mm -hmm. everything we need to refilm it if need be. Um, because yep. it was a case of, okay, have we covered everything imaginable, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so when people do watch back, it's. It's essentially like a masterclass on you know the complete A to Z. Mm -hmm. um, so that's generally yeah. my approach to kind of a lot of the tutorials that I do. Mm. Yeah, and and they're very they're very generous in the sense that I think your time and and all the effort that you're putting into creating these videos, as well as the time uh, 
that, you know, it's taking those people that are good at what they do um, and also providing, you know, quote unquote, the trade secrets of how to do certain things. Um, <laughs> I think it's very generous. I, I know your videos are geared towards those that are really serious about learning how to do certain craft. And, and for me, you know, watching a two hour video is much better than reading a book. At least that's just how I learned <laughs> a practical skill. So I think, like you were saying earlier, having a video that's, you know, visually intriguing to some and they can watch it in 10 minutes because their attention span is only 10 minutes, then, mm -hmm. you know, it is what it is. But I think you're after something different, which is which is why I enjoyed your videos so much and have learned so much from them. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, I haven't always got it right. I've messed up <laughs> plenty of times in the whole kind of <laughs> process because I'm completely self-taught. So, um, yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah, so I'm completely... My, my video schools are still nowhere near where I want them to be. So I'm, I'm currently doing a lot of studying on the side about, you know, uh, mm. editing and filming and whatnot. Um, but in terms of the the kind of more the formats of, of kind of um, encapsulating kind of tuition, basically, is, is a lot of it's been work in progress, you know. So mm. a big thing that I do whenever I film, whenever I edit back, I'm always critiquing myself. Um so I'm always asking myself, actually, how I should how should I have recorded that differently? How should I have done this? Mm. How should I have done that? Like um, a, a really bad habit I used to do for a very long time. I used to do like filler words, like hmm, yeah, okay, hmm, hmm, yeah, oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> so I, I was really bad at that for a long time, and I realized because I felt it was two things. I realized number one, it was slight nerves, but also I thought. <laughs> I thought I had to fill the silence, yeah. right? Um, and it was only when one of my friends, who's, who's an actual professional uh, videographer here in London, he's done stuff for the BBC and whatnot. And okay. uh, I, I managed to sit down with him one day and he gave me a few pointers um, and he knew exactly why I did it, right? <laughs> um, and he goes, that's why. He goes, because you feel you need to fill the silence, right? right. Um, but he <laughs> right. goes, there are other ways of, of, of gliding through that without having to say, hmm, yeah, okay, gotcha, you know, um, and stuff. So a lot, a lot of that's me like self kind of critical, right? But for me, I'm always yeah. trying to improve. And um, so, Definitely. you know, kind of looking back on that, you know, a lot of it's kind of been, I, I kind of look at my recordings. I'm like, actually, how could I have done that differently? Um, you know, how could I have presented this differently, shown that, talked about this, et cetera. Um, so a big thing that I do is, a lot of the talking I do now is outside of the scene of the filming. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Mm -hmm. So, so a lot of it's done then, and and I kind of just let the craftsperson just go go with it. Right, um, right, right, and all right. I try to do here and there is just steer things a certain way, mm -hmm. um, and let the craftsperson talk. Because when I do the tutorials, one thing I'm very mindful of is it's not really about me; it's about the craftsperson. Mm, um, right. And and what right. it is there about? So I, I, as little as possible, I like to have the attention on me as little as possible. You know, my focus is the craftsperson that I'm documenting. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And the only time I I kind of quote unquote interject is once again if I feel that oh maybe there's a question that the viewer will have. Mm. Um, you know, um, but the moment I kind of kind of fill in where necessary, I immediately step back. Um. And kind of just go quiet and let the craftsperson kind of get on with it, you know, yeah. um, and kind of steer them along. But the point being, yeah, all of that is still a lot of work in progress for me. 
in terms of kind of the learning curve and kind of better ways of doing it, um, you right. know, um, both from kind of a presentation point of view and also um, filming and editing and all of that jazz. Yeah, there's a, a lot goes into that too because I do, I've done, I don't want to say filmmaking, that makes it sound like I did something more than it actually was, but, um, <laughs> you know, taking videos and editing them. Um, and I know a lot goes into it, both with, you know, what equipment you're going to use, what type of lens, microphones, and then the editing is a whole nother beast unto itself, just mm. time. And um, that's more like the meticulous side where you have to figure out how you're going to cut everything so that you can get, get the point across without having, you know, excess footage or excess uh, scenes in there. Um, yeah. I'm curious, as a, as a geek myself, I'm kind of curious what type of equipment you actually use. Um, so I'm currently using a Canon 80D, um, for the filming. Um, mm. so, um, I am going to be upgrading soon to, um, uh, mirrorless. Um, okay, nice. so that's kind of the way a lot of it's going now. Um, yep. so I'm using that, um, in terms of the audio setup, um, I use the Rode Wireless Go. Oh, um, nice. so it made a huge difference getting that when I, yeah. <laughs> because, up until then, it was I used a uh, Rode boom mic um, yeah. on, on on the theme, but the big big problem with that is it's obviously facing towards the subject. Um, yeah. So when I was behind a camera, um, it wouldn't come out. So therefore, I had no option but to use the 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 mic on the body, which isn't ideal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But it was the only way I could pick up kind of both audios. Um, right. So it made a big difference, kind of transitioning onto uh the road wireless go um nice. which wasn't cheap that's for sure right um and um and even with that man it was like a big big learning curve uh mm. with that because yeah there was some some information online but it wasn't a lot of great information um in terms of like some some basic user guides and whatnot on how to use it mm. but it made a big difference in terms of filming with someone else um mm, right. and so so i use uh I, I use a couple of different lenses uh once again the lenses i will be upgrading uh very soon um so at the moment that's kind of my main setup uh the nice. canon canon 80d and the rode wireless go um but yes i will be upgrading later this year to probably probably a sony mirrorless yeah um yeah. and um you know a couple of the lenses as well um and also as well, going to be getting a slightly different uh, road uh, uh, mic setup as well. So it's a slightly higher end road uh, mic setup. Um, mm. A lot of this stuff costs a lot of money, so it's like I'm having yeah, to, does. I'm having to, you know, it gets a very expensive hobby. Um, yeah, and um, <laughs> so a lot of that I'm, I'm kind of, kind of like building up to, and then later in the year get that. Um, awesome. and have a much more kind of streamlined setup. What I'd also ideally like to do as well is have a separate body for still photography as well, ready to go. Mm, um, yeah, so yeah. when I'm kind of filming, I can quickly interject with kind of still photos um, yeah, yeah. Um, and have that's a kind a of diff different setup for that. Um, so that's kind of what I'm earmarking at the moment. Um, mm. it's, it's kind of an interesting one with the whole equipment setup you know a lot of <laughs> I, even i had this kind of mindset oh i need some really expensive equipment to produce good video right <laughs> uh, um, yeah. and it's kind of this justification we make to ourselves i think yeah <laughs> um, but really when it came down to it yes obviously equipment does make a big difference but right. a lot right. of it really is kind of how how you kind of use what it is that you have 
you know. Exactly. Um, sure. So I know, for example, uh, I'm by no stretch of the imagination a great photographer, but you know, I've got a little bit of an eye, right, for for being able to take photos. And um, yeah. So when I'm kind of when people come to me asking for a bit of advice, taking photo of spoon carving, etc., they've got it in their heads that oh, you know what. Um, what DSLR should I get? What should I get? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, you don't need it. You don't need a DSLR, right? Um, right. If you're going to get one anyway, fine, get one. But don't think you need that to take really good pictures. Um, yeah, right. And I was like, have you utilized all the functionality on your smartphone? Mm -hmm. Because if you haven't, you're wasting a big opportunity there. Um, there are some amazing apps you can get for both the iPhone and Android. Um, mm -hmm. You can get a lot of great functionality. A lot of the, the the newer phones now, the Samsungs, the Googles, the iPhones, etc. They have fantastic cameras on them. Yeah, um, definitely. And yeah. and I'm like, you know, you you what you really need to be doing, and even those that are listening to this podcast, my encouragement is not to get hung up on the equipment. Um, utilize what it is you already have, um, and really go deep. And especially taking pictures and video on smartphones. If you go onto YouTube, there are thousands upon thousands oh, yeah. of amazing yeah. tutorials, right? right? That teach you right. all aspects of you know uh, videography, photography, just using your smartphone. Um, yeah. There's some really really good stuff out there. That there's um, I mean, there's so many to mention. There's in no particular order. You've got um, there are a group of guys. I think they're based in Washington State, um, and they're called Moment Camera. Um, and um, they're a really good outfit. Now, what they actually do, they actually sell separate lenses that you can attach to your smartphone. Oh, cool. So they sell like so a separate kind of small kind of like screw on lenses. So they sell a huh. body, yeah, they yeah. sell a different range of lenses, um, but their channel is amazing. And they also have an app, the Moment Camera mm. app, um, which is a phenomenal app. And unless I'm mistaken, I believe it's free. Um, mm. And on their channel, they do some amazing tutorials on how nice. to take a lot of photography, good quality photography using your smartphone. Um, and there's loads of others. There's uh, Peter McKinnon uh, from Canada. There's like so many good, good, talented photographers out there um, right. on YouTube. Um, so I always encourage people, don't get too hung up on the equipment. Um, yeah. By all means, if you're able to afford it, then get one. But really what you should be doing is utilizing, you know, um, the, the smartphone that you have and just understanding some basic things about composition, about where you place your item, you know, using mm -hmm. good quality lighting, item, you know. Um, like I had a friend of mine I helped a, a couple of months ago just give a few tips and tricks. And um, and he's here in London and he carves really nice items. But, and I say this respectfully because I'm not going to mention his name, but his pictures <laughs> are dreadful. They're like really, really bad. And I was like, one day I was like, dude, you got to stop, man. You gotta stop taking like really, really bad pictures. I was like, you're intentionally taking really bad pictures. Um, so so I met up with him, I had to drop off. I, I got given a bit of word, so I went to drop some off to him. And he goes, Look, said, if you've got 20 minutes on you, can you just show me a few tips and tricks? Um, and so I showed him, I go, Look, where are you taking your photo at the moment? And he and I realized he paid no attention whatsoever to where he put his spoon. You know, it was just mm -hmm. plonking it down on his chopping block and just took a picture. Um, and I was like, dude, man, like, stop, look around you. What have you got going on? Like move your chopping blocks, you know, um, yeah. get, get a bit of natural lighting, diffuse lighting. Yeah. So just showing him just a few very basic things. Um, 
Right. Then I showed him to kind of clear up the area around your chopping block. So before he was taking pictures and it was this nasty carrier bag, you know, <laughs> in the background. And I was like, dude, what are you doing, man? Like move that carrier bag. Um, <laughs> So I was like trying to explain to him, look, you've got to think about the aesthetic, the kind of surroundings. Um, and yeah. I go, you don't need yeah. some fancy backdrop. You can do it anywhere, you know. Yeah. Um, and ironically, the, the best spot we found for him to take his pictures is he's got this kind of decrepit uh, glass house that's like half broken. But mm. in one little section of the, the glass house, the light shines through this kind of misty glass really nice. Mm, um, mm. and it creates this beautiful kind of diffused mm. effect um, nice. and on that floor there he's got this kind of rickety kind of wooden panel uh, and I was like dude this is perfect you know and he was like well this is a a, a glass house I go dude no one's going to know it's a glass house right, <laughs> right? he's like yeah you're not going to have this massive banner saying like you know with neon light saying this is a glass house I was like dude no one's going to know okay you just got to think about what's showing in the picture um, exactly. yeah. And um, before you know it, he had this like, beautiful spot now where he takes a lot of his pictures um, and stuff. And so, so yeah, kind of going off on, on a little bit of a tangent with the camera uh, and the equipment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it does make a big difference. But yeah, I always encourage people, don't get too hung up on, right. on the equipment. Just utilize what you do have. Um, and you'll be amazed yeah. at the amount of incredible and beautiful photography you can do with that. Yeah, it's, it's so true. Sure. Have you have you done a video on this? Because I feel like that'd be a really good video yes, to do. To that would be simple, like photography tricks for documenting your craft. Because it is. I I grew up as a kid, like I was really into photography. My grandfather was a photographer, so I just innately. My dad's an artist. I just innately had a lot of this information. Um, but yeah, I definitely see. <clears throat> um, I see how people. It's just. It's. It's just like, for example, I have a. I have a friend, a neighbor. I tried to send him a spreadsheet and he said, is that like a software or something? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, we got to take a step back. You don't even know what a spreadsheet is. So, yeah. <laughs> so some people, they just, they just don't know. They're not, it's not part of their world, you know, like, yeah, they've, you know, like you said, so many people have an iPhone, whatever, 12. I don't even know what the models are now, but yeah, I mean, the camera is, there's three or four cameras. Yeah. On there's that, there's on the three lenses. <laughs> I mean, the things basically you know, supercomputer with this crazy, you yeah. know, lens on it. You can right. take amazing photos if you yeah. just, just some simple, simple things. And they design, they design such devices with, with the mindset of, you know, the end user is going to not have much experience in taking photos. So right. they want to try to make it as user-friendly as possible. So all you have to do is point and shoot. Yeah. And so, you know, I, the I, average I, person. Yes, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say on that note, you've got a lot of, especially like the iPhone, I've got the iPhone. And what yeah. you find is a lot of the cameras now, um, they have those presets where it's all ready to go. Like oh, portrait right? mode or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know, and, and they're fantastic. Like the amazing stuff you could do with portrait mode, you know. Yeah. Um, right. So it's all really kind of preset in terms of just kind of point and shoot and, and, and take the image that's kind of ready to go. Um, a quick right. side note, I read this article i think it was about a year or so ago about how the the consumer market for um digital cameras has been impacted massively because of the yeah. the scale at which the cameras now are improving on smartphones mm, so right. that kind of lower tier kind of uh digital camera market is basically just been obliterated yeah you know sure. um because why would you want to go and spend 100 200 bucks on a on a small digital camera um 
yeah. let alone carry it around when your phone can actually do a reasonably <laughs> good job, right? Yeah. Or better. Or better, right? It's, um, yeah. And so I was just reading this report how kind of that lower tier market, that's why you don't really see a lot of those cameras around now. Yeah, so true. Um, right. Because a lot of that market's just been obliterated. And it's only, I still think it's got a way to go, but it will only be a matter of time before <clears throat> they can really start challenging the kind of the DSLRs of the world as well. Yeah. You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, it's happening. Yeah, for example, there's a lot of um, apps out there that are still obviously very early stages, but they're incorporating a lot of um, artificial intelligence as well when you're taking photos. Um, mm. So what you do is now, um, the name actually slipped my mind, but there's an app out there that's still kind of very much a prototype. But what it does is it it when you take it, when you, when you position a subject, for example, let's say a carved spoon um, in the camera of your phone, what the app will do is it will scan scan um, millions of photos online that are similar, hmm. right? And then what it will do is it will choose the optimal settings for taking that picture, hmm. um, and it will take the picture, right? Wow. So what it does is it's like algorithmic learning. So you know if it's a particular hmm. aperture, if it's this, if it's that, um, you know, and it will obviously gauge obviously the lighting uh, that you've got, how how far or close the the uh, the item is. Um, yeah. And this is how intelligent the stuff is getting now, you know, where yeah. you can yeah. now just point at it and it will automatically do an algorithmic search and it will work out the best settings now to take the picture. Yeah. It will tell you when it's ready, you click, um, like take picture and all of a sudden, boom, it's like the most optimal picture you can take. That's incredible. Hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's good and bad because it does take the fun out of photography, <laughs> in my opinion. Oh, 100%. I think playing around... Yeah, playing around with all the different manual settings, I think it's just it's just so intriguing to me because I've I've done some photography classes myself when I was in the police academy, and and that was the funnest aspect to photography is like, oh, I can mm -hmm. do all these manual settings yeah. myself on my this white camera, balance, my aperture, yeah. my which ISO. is yeah, which is really cool. Um, so, anyways, yeah, sorry. No <laughs> side note. <laughs> it's okay. It's it it is all important because I mean, like you said, because of social media, this stuff has just. I mean, exponentially expanded in terms of the practice and interest. Yeah. yeah. And it's all because mostly it's driven by people taking a decent photo, I mean, or a video. Yeah. Um, but with Instagram, it's all, you know, mostly photos. So it's, yeah. and it comes to, I mean, like, for example, <clears throat> the, some of the most popular people on Instagram are, they're, they're popular because they take good photos. I mean, Absolutely. from what I can see, like, Right. It's mostly just how they present what they're doing. Obviously, they're very talented. I don't want to take away from people's talent and skill. Right. Right. But you combine that with a good photo and, you yeah. know, it's it's just that's what the obviously that's what the algorithm feeds on. Right. Um, but it's just kind of it's just a simple simple formula. Yeah. But I like I like what you were saying too about, you know, just using what you have because that's that's always been my motto with carving in general is it's the same thing. I mean, you start looking at knives and axes and oh, oh yeah. you can just you can you can start to justify i really do need that 400 dollars axe i mean that do gosh, you know <laughs> it'd be so nice if i had that and I, I bet you my spoons would be that that much better no. <laughs> um, but you it, like it with anything i mean if you if you put all of, if you put all of your eggs into that basket of having the nice tools and that's going to make you you know excel at the craft yeah. You'd probably be disappointed because the tool's great, but if the skill's not there to, to utilize it, then it's kind of a wasted yeah. effort. Because um, yeah. I, I mean, I started I started with literally 
probably the worst axe you could ever have. It's just a welded metal handle beater axe, and I, I filed it sharp, and I got some Mora knives for like, yeah, I spent like $30 and got some Mora knives. And uh, I just started going at it, and, you know, a little bit of time later, a year later, I think I had improved a lot, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to actually buy Upgrade. an axe at the least. And then from there, it just snowballs, and you, you, you learn... Each each time you take a little step, you learn another little thing, another little piece of your skill is able to be unlocked. Yeah, and then you reach a point where okay, yeah, four hundred dollar axe, I could probably utilize that to its full extent now sure. that I have some understanding of how axes work and yep. exactly how I'm going to use it. Yeah. Um, but we talked about this. We've talked about this with the, especially with Lee and um, yeah. with Reed Schwartz. Just there's this whole tool mania. It seems like oh, where people for sure. want. For sure, they just—I mean, understandably, they're beautiful tools. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, there is, there is, there is that like part of craft where you're just a tool collector. Yeah, like you enjoy just the, the aesthetic beauty of a tool, and you just want to look at it, and that's like how much dopamine you can get out of <laughs> out of looking at a tool, right? And but I think it's so important to emphasize, like you were saying, Mark, that skill development is so important. Like once you have that established, then yes, go ahead and spend the extra whatever money if you have it on. <clears throat> on a tool that you just want to look at <laughs> yeah, and use. A, a lot of that, one thing I always, because I, 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 I get messaged a lot, like a lot, um, pre, yeah, pre, 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 pretty much a daily thing. And I've done say it in a negative way. It's always really nice hearing from people. Um, but I'm always getting tagged and, and PM'd and, and whatnot and comments. Mm. Um, and, and one of the big, things is always about tools, right? Um, yeah. What shall I get? What shall I do? Shall I get this? Shall I get that? Um, and um, so, for example, I always get a lot of the American audience asking about getting hold of European tools and vice versa, mm -hmm. you know? So, right. um, but the one thing I'm always encouraging of people is, it's just like you said, where first and foremost, obviously have a good, good starting set, right? So mm -hmm. if, for example, you know, you're, you're doing spoon carving, just have a, a decent ground level axe, straight knife and, and curved knife, right? Yeah. Um, and just that's really all you're going to need, you know, to, to start right. off with. And I always encourage people that just like you've already outlined that what you really should be focusing on is, is the practice with those tools, right? Um, because it's not just the carving, which is obviously the big, big thing, but it's also the tool maintenance and sharpening, mm -hmm. you know? So yes. it's knowing how to, sharpen your ass, how to look after it, how to kind of care for the handle. Same with the straight knife, straight, you know, same with a, a, a curved knife. Um, and there's a lot to learn within that as well. You know, there's um, a lot of people kind of dive into, I see it all the time, people diving into accumulating loads of tools, but they don't know how to sharpen, you right. know? Um, and yeah. I think that's one of the worst things you can do. Um, mm -hmm. So for example, in the bushcraft space, they're always encouraging people that when you start out, under no stretch of the imagination should you buy an expensive knife, right? <laughs> you should just buy your yeah. standard $15, $20 Mora knife, okay? And that's it, yeah. right? That is all you should have. And you should use that knife to beat it around till kingdom come, you know? <laughs> you should practice using yeah. it, sharpening it, everything um, on that one knife. Because if, if you do happen to damage the knife, worst case, it's just $10, $15 20 20 dollars yeah. you understand that you're gonna kind of waste right um not yeah, right. like two three four hundred dollars um <laughs> right. and so i'm always yeah. telling people like, I, I get it all the time like people starting out in bushcraft 
yeah, what custom maker do you recommend? And I'm like, none, <laughs> none, right? <laughs> Under no circumstances should you be spending $400 on a knife if you're just starting out. Um, yeah, no. yeah. Spend 20 bucks, done. That's it, end of. Um, mm-hmm. And especially with spoon carving or crafts or carving, green woodworking, like get obviously a decent tool to begin with, but keep it kind of very kind of ground level. Um, and yeah, what you should be doing is spending a lot of time um, learning the fundamentals, like I said, of, of good tool usage um, and maintenance and sharpening of the tools. Um, then when it comes to actually buying tools moving forward, you know, improving your racks or straight knife or whatever, a big thing I actually encourage everyone to do in, in green woodworking, in slide, in, in bushcraft and everything is where possible, what you should do is you should get yourself up into a meetup with mm. other craftspeople, right? Because yeah. Yeah. if you go, let's say, for example, you know, you're starting out in your neck of the woods. Um, if you're able to get to a meetup where even if it's just two, three other people there, okay, that have got a bit more experience than you, no doubt they're going to have tools that you haven't used before. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and what you're able to do is without you having to go out and spend the money, Obviously, with permission and done done you know, in a safe manner, um, you, you should be using other people's tools and giving them a bit of a trial, okay? Mm. Um, and say, hey, sure. yeah, do you mind if I borrow your axe? Just axe out a spoon blank, you know, if it's an axe that you've been eyeing up. Um, and give that a try, and you'd be amazed at how much you can learn by using another mm. tool from another maker that you don't necessarily have to go and buy yourself. Um, um, And what that does is that now gives you a lot of hands-on experience with using different tools. And a lot of tools you may think that, yeah, if I just got this particular axe, it would change my axe Mm -hmm. game. But a lot of people realize when they get the tool, actually it doesn't make a massive difference, you know, Um, or it doesn't necessarily solve all of their problems, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm always encouraging people where possible, I know it's not always feasible, but where possible what you should do is get yourself to meetups, um, I know, for example, if I go to any of the spoon carving uh, spoon carving clubs here in the UK, which are happening pretty much regularly now, um, if you go to those, especially the ones that are kind of in, in attendance of more kind of experienced spoon carvers, it's basically like Pandora's box. Mm. You know, <laughs> you think of the axe, you think of the spoon knife, the straight knife or whatever, the likelihood is someone's going to have it there. You know, yeah. so you're now able to see it up close and personal, but also what you're able to do is actually ask that particular craftsperson what their experience is with that tool. Yeah. You know, mm. say, so, well, how do you yeah. find this axe? You know, um, what do you like? What don't you like? Um, and so right. I find a lot of that is kind of a good way. It kind of, it, it will hopefully prevent people going out and spending unnecessary money, right? Yeah. Where yeah, they're sure. able to sure. actually go and trial a bit of, bit of equipment out um, and see for themselves, okay, actually, is it as good as they think it is? Um, and once you've done that with a few different tools and a few different meetups, you're now able to build up a mu- much better picture of knowing, okay, what tool you actually need and what you don't need. Um, right. Then after that, I think we've got to find every excuse to kind of um, to to avoid buying too many axes and too many knives and <laughs> too, too too many spoon knives. I think I think I think we're all suffering from that affliction. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, so but I think as a starting off point, yeah, I think you've got to be very careful, um, going in. I appreciate some people have that, you know, disposable income, um, where sure. going out and spending that kind of money on tools is not really a big deal. 
Um, but yeah, it's um, it is a bit of a tricky kind of path to kind of to kind of navigate. Yeah, and I actually I had an interesting experience uh, early on in my journey. I I had I'd been using these axes that I just found or bought at a flea market. Um, and then uh, an older friend of mine, he was like, "Oh, you're into you're into Sloyd. I've got an old Sloyd axe." And I, I was like, "Oh, a Sloyd axe? That's that's pretty." rare thing to have <laughs> and in my mind i was thinking oh, it must be like a grand Tours brooks or something yeah. and sure enough it was the grand Tours uh carving axe mm. and it was just hanging up in his barn it was a little bit rusty so he's he like yeah borrow it for you know a month or so and see if you like it yeah and it was so funny i i, I had to do a little bit of tune-up on it because it had been just sitting unused for a long time but yeah. once i got it going i was actually a little bit like i don't know if i like this thing it's the grind on it, I just wasn't used to it. Yeah. Um, I'd gotten so used to my axe that I made, you know, work in my own way. Um, that I, I find the, the moral of the story is I find that almost half the battle or more is just getting used to what you have. Yeah. And, um, trying something new in a lot of ways can actually throw you off because you might not be used to, yeah. you know, for example, if you start with a, just a regular Mora hook knife and you get used to the way that that thing's ground out of the box right. and then you go to one that has a flat bevel on it. Right. Your whole game is going to change. You're going to have to rethink the yeah. whole way you use that tool because you've gotten all the muscle memory to how it was made in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've found that to be true as well. Uh, we've done a couple small meetup type gatherings and it's been fun to see people that don't, you know, they don't have a lot of experience just get to try different tools and they see right away like, oh, this one, especially the grand scores, I find a lot of people, they get on that and it's like, Oh, this thing bites really hard. It, it yeah. takes off way more material than you're expecting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just things like that also, I think are, are part of the, the learning process and honing the craft is really, again, it's not so much the tool. It's more, do you, how much, how well do you know the tool you have yeah. and know it's little quirks and how it's going to do this or that so that you can use that to your advantage to, you know, do it. Cause at the end of the day, if you're carving a spoon, you want to carve a spoon. You're not sitting there looking at your axe the whole time. You know, the <laughs> axe is in a way is just a means to an end. Yeah. And the spoon and the process are really more important to the whole experience. And the yeah. axe is, you know, beautiful axe is obviously an amazing thing. And, yeah. um, but it's, it, it'll never replace the experience of having, you know, practice and skill and, and being able to go from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so but, that's but, that's kind of how I go about it. A, a big thing I've got in the works at the moment for this year is doing um, a series of, vid of videos on kind of a couple of different angles towards tools. Number one is mm. the forging mm. of your own tools. Um, oh, nice. So um, I can't say too much at the moment, but I've got things in the works <laughs> with, with, with a couple of yeah, makers um, where good. we're gonna we're gonna be looking at. Um, making your own carving knife, straight knife. Um, mm. And we're going to look at a couple of different techniques, one from um, forging and the other one from stock removal. Um, yeah. um, but but yeah. we're also going to do a version where it's going to kind of be, once again, it's, it's a lot of stuff I'm still ironing out, but what I'm, gonna, what I'm, what I'm looking to do is do, a, even within that, a couple of different angles where uh, number one is using some basic equipment um, mm. to kind of make that, but also do a version where uh, you can use very, very basic equipment um, mm. to to kind of make your own tools. Because um, nice. obviously, I appreciate most people don't have that kind of setup, right? Sure. Um, right, right. So, so I'm going to be doing a series of videos tackling making a straight knife. Also, going to be doing a That's similar awesome. series on spoon knives. Um, so, so making your own spoon knife and doing it in a few different ways. Mm. 
Um, cool. So all the way from using very, very basic equipment to stuff that's a little bit more kind of, you know, designed for a better setup. Um, right. And and even approaching the axe, axe heads as well. So uh, making your axe, axe head um, and doing that once again in in a couple of different ways. So number one is obviously the, the forging from scratch uh, of a carving yeah. axe head, but also um, approaching it from an angle of reprofiling um, old mm. axe heads. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they're mm. so readily available. Um, you yes. go to mm. like, um, I forgot what you guys call them in the US, but in the UK, we flea have markets. flea markets, right? So, mm-hmm, so we yeah. have like car boot sales. Um, and Matt, you can pick them up for pittance, right? Yeah. I've seen people so selling like rusted access for like 20 pence, you know? Mm. Um, and so what I want to do is be able to tell people that look, you know, they're so easily available axe heads like old axe heads so how do you take an old axe head and reprofile it using the uh, basic equipment um to right. make a very good functional carbon axe head you know oh, awesome. um and within that process learn a lot of the fundamentals of what well, what actually constitutes a good carbon axe head mm, you yeah. know what grind what shape etc you know the pros and cons with the different designs um and all of that is done under the umbrella of not having to go out there and spend a lot of money, you know, awesome. with some very, very basic equipment, you can go out, you can go out there and essentially make it yourself, which is essentially how a lot of the old timers used to do it. Right. You know, yeah. they used to just yeah. go out there. If they needed someone to go and make it. Um, and so, right. so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really, really eager to, yeah, there's nothing wrong with showing a lot of fancy makers and, and kind of the the wares that they're making, um, but really where a lot of my thoughts align is approaching that big sector of you know rather than going out there spending whatever two three four hundred dollars on an axe, um, go yeah. out there spend ten bucks on an axe head, um, and with a bit of basic equipment, um, even if you have to go out there and buy a couple of bits of equipment like an angle grinder or whatever, it's stuff that sure. technically shouldn't cost you a lot of money. Um, and mm-hmm. for very little money, you're able to now make your own very, very usable tool, you know. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Right. That, that you're able to kind of go out and use. So so I'm, yeah. I'm kind of, yeah, I, have, I have a lot of that in the works and approaching that from different angles. I know it's going to upset a few makers. <laughs> so it's like yeah. uh, showing a few of the techniques that they prefer to be hidden. Sure. Um, but yeah, but a lot of that for me, I'm very, very eager to kind of shine a yeah. light on that and to encourage that, to encourage people going out there and making their own tools, you know? That's right. awesome. That's going to be very helpful. Cause that, yeah. that was one thing when I first started, I was just winging it. I didn't <laughs> have really much to go off of. Yeah. Um, and so I was in the trial by fire, uh, school or school of hard knocks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> trial by fire. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that, I mean, most of my axes are just repurposed, you know, secondhand either from eBay or from a, a flea market. And it doesn't take much. You don't need a whole lot to get, uh, even some of these axes, all you need is a, is a file and a couple of sharpening stones yeah. and you, yeah. you're, you'll be good. Certainly. Um, that's cool. So yeah. What, what else do you have in the works? Um, I mean, you've, you've got a, a plethora of videos on your YouTube channel. I mean, covering so many different topics. I'm curious where, aside from these, these, uh, kind of scaled down tool, making and modification videos what's uh what's the direction of your work in this space going forward um so the past two years have been greatly impacted by by covid um yeah so being able to film has been 
been a huge, huge nightmare. Um, and so right. now that we're kind of transitioning into a kind of semi-normality, um, I'm kind of back into filming pretty much as of this weekend. Um, oh, sweet. And oh, nice. so I'm starting to get a, a diary that's kind of full up again. Um, so <laughs> typically what I do is I kind of work kind of Monday to Thursday, Monday to Friday on my business okay. kind of day to day. And then typically Fridays stroke Saturdays, I go out filming. Um, mm -hmm. So what I'm doing at the moment, I've got, as I'm sitting talking to you, I've got this huge whiteboard in my home office. Um, uh, and, and I've actually earmarked like all the different parts of the UK in terms of localities. Um, mm -hmm. And underneath there, I've got all the different makers um, dotted around. Mm -hmm. And it's probably collectively, I'm looking at it now, it's probably about 120, 130 different makers um, wow that's incredible yeah just in, just in the uk <laughs> that's so amazing. um yeah. right. and so Jeez. there's a lot of people that are known a lot of people that are not known um and it it covers a whole array of especially for example sloyd crafts um mm -hmm. so obviously spoon carving obviously which is a big staple um and all yeah. the things that are related to it but also many different other areas of greenwood working so for example mm -hmm. um i have in the works um a very very detailed course on making a windsor chair Ooh, um, nice using a pole that's lathe exciting. um that's going to be a mammoth tutorial um yeah so absolutely i've got that in the works um also currently speaking to mike abbott um mm -hmm. so oh, i can't say nice. too much at the moment with that but there's a hopefully a few yeah. good things to come from that um cool. so you've got that um also uh going to be delving into the pole lathe side of things uh, a lot more as well um but also many other aspects of green woodworking as well. So uh, shrink pots, bark craft, um, many different forms of, um, for example, ash spent basketry, um, okay. um, uh, oak swell basketry. Um, mm. So yeah, there's a few other things that are going on. A um, lot of natural cordage making. So I want to do a really, really broad um, series of different forms of cordage making. Um, that's a skill that's not really talked about a huge amount yeah cordage right. making right but what yeah. you find is there's um there's a lot to be learned making cordage from different plant stroke tree materials um yeah and it's a huge amount that you can learn about the intrinsic properties because the way my mind works when i think of for example green woodworking rather than looking at let's say a section of wood and carving a spoon from it the way my brain automatically works is okay let's say you've got whatever let's say um a piece of birch my brain goes yeah. immediately to well actually what are the different things that you can make from birch in general you know hmm. so you've got the bark you've got the tannins you've got the you know, the, the birch syrup you've got um yeah. obviously the wood itself you've got you know burrs i mean the list goes on and on and on you sure. know? um so what I, what i'm really eager to do is is to kind of dive deep and kind of branch out into all of these different aspects of craft mm, nice um nice and really going into that quite deep so natural cordage making is a big aspect to that um and ma many other little nodes relating to 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 kind of carving so for example it's carving different types of utensils uh i mean the list goes on mm. and on and on nice um wow. so, so awesome, I, I, I have a lot of that in the works uh like i said different forms of basketry um that i'm going to be delving into um there's um a friend of mine i'm collaborating with next month where we're going to do a detailed um, I mean, he's won awards and stuff for his basket tree here in the UK. Right. Um, are we going to do uh, cedar basket tree? You know, so oh, how to nice. process cedar and then subsequently how to weave a basket. 
Um, so there's a uh, lot of that. There's a lot of the stuff to do with the decoration, a lot of stuff to do with the tools side of thing. That's a huge thing. Um, what I'm also going to be kicking off is a very long ongoing series with a retailer here in the UK called Classic Hand Tools. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. I haven't heard of them. Classic Hand no. Tools. So they're one of the biggest retailers in general worldwide for hmm. uh, woodworking oh. hand tools. Um, yeah. They're huge. They're the official uh, UK stroke European uh, outlets for a lot of the American brands like Liv Nielsen and a whole slew oh, wow. of makers. Okay. So they're big. I mean, they're, their inventory is like thousands and thousands of tools. Um, wow. And so I've been in the talks with them for, for a while. Um, and what we're going to be doing, we're going to be kicking off an ongoing series, which we're going to start the filming very soon. Um, and what we're going to be doing, and this is once again a very long-term ongoing series, um, and what we're going to be doing is, is looking at different aspects of the tools that they sell. So we're, we're going to start mm. off with is um, sharpening systems. So um, there's a myriad of um, machine sharpening systems and also yeah. hand-based sharpening yeah. systems as well. So different right. forms of water stones, ceramic stones, the list goes on. Um, oh, nice. So what we're going to do, we're, we've been planning it out at the moment, where we're going to do a detailed look at each of those different systems. So we're also going to be looking at a Tormek, Pro Sorby. Um, so it's going to be like mm. a little mini masterclass. You know? cool. yeah, so, amazing. for example, like nice. the, the Pro Sorby, for example, we're going to look at, for example, what constitutes the Pro Sorby? What are all the elements of the, the system? How does it work? You know, um, how does it come together? You know, what, you know, what, what does what? You know, doing a bit of a, 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 a test as well in terms of a quick sharpen and just some kind of like good working practices, you know? So mm. assuming you know nothing about the pro Sorby, the idea is you watch the video and you've got a very good grounding. Um, awesome. And it's the same with all the other different sharpening systems on which I think there were total about 14 different sharpening systems. Um, so, so we're also going to be doing that as well. Um, so that's going to be an ongoing series. I'm also kicking off a series soon with a friend of mine who's a professional forager here in the UK. Um, oh, sweet. So we're going to nice. be doing an ongoing foraging series as well. Um, obviously back at the events, um, you know, so you've got Spoonfest going on. There's also a new event kicking off this year mm. called Spoon Town, um, mm. which huh. is run by a friend of mine, Jill Swan. That's going to be for about 150 people. So it's going to be quite a big event. Um, wow. So that's going to be based in the south, south of England. Um, so there's a bunch of events going on that I'm going to be attending. So, so yeah, the roster is going to kind of go from being relatively quiet up until now to, to really kicking off. Um, wow. Um, in you a, got a lot going on, man. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a, <laughs> You're hiring? <laughs> yeah, gosh, I need it. Um, but yeah, the, the, the crazy thing is the filming itself is, is, mm. is a lot of work, but actually what constitutes the majority of the work is the, is the uh, logistics. Um, sure. I'm sure. So yeah. there's a lot to do with logistics, like even working out yeah. what to film, what it is you're going to talk about, you know, where you're going to film, what you're going to need, what the syllabus is, what the structure. Um, and like I said, because my head's quite OCD, there's a lot of back and <laughs> forth. It's not just like, oh, let's just film this and that's it. There's a lot of kind yeah, of right. planning that goes into it saying, well, okay, if we're going to cover this topic, how are we going to cover it? You know? Yeah. Um, so people yeah. see the end video and that's all great. Not realizing that actually there's been a ton of work. Mm, going yeah. on in the background yeah. in terms of exactly what we're going to cover, what the craftsperson is going to need for the video, um, how we're going to yeah. film it, where we're going to film it. Um, so it's all these different kind of nuances. So it's the logistics that are actually the, the lion's share of the work. 
you know, mm, yeah. of, of planning that all of this sense. um and stuff. Um so that's kind of really where I'm at. So the filming's really gonna be all being well, it's gonna be quite kind of heavy moving forward, which I'm really looking forward mm-hmm. to. Um yeah, and there's also gonna be a, a lot of craftspeople that are not necessarily known that I'm looking forward Very to introducing good. to a, a wider community. Um there's nice. a big 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 Sweet. big driver for me is not just covering craftspeople that are known, but also a lot of the up and coming talented craftspeople. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily known, but they're very good at what they do. Um right. sure. so I always take a lot of pride in trying to bring them to a, a, a bigger community, you know. That's awesome. Um, and kind of introduce them to a wider audience. Um and behind the scenes, I'm always helping a lot of a lot of lot of the guys out with their social media. Um, oh nice. So they're always hitting me up for, for advice. <laughs> I find a lot of the a lot of green woodworkers are very talented at what they do, mm-hmm. but they're terrible at marketing. Uh, yeah, so so um so they're always hitting me up. So I'm always trying to give little <laughs> tidbits of information and advice and say, well, like try doing this, try and do that. Because I think it's it's something I think you touched on earlier where you know there's 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 people that are out there who it may not necessarily be great at carving, but because they know how to take good pictures because they know how to yeah. use social media because they know how to position yeah. themselves. Um, they, they kind of enhance their brand. Um, yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who are phenomenal at, at carving or, or their particular discipline, but they're to one degree or another, they're terrible, you know, yeah. <laughs> with social media, with kind of images and photos and all of that. Um, and the one right. thing I'm always encouraging craftspeople of all calibers is, a lot of people I find is they look at social media and they kind of, they have this, how can I put it? This is kind of hesitancy mm, with social yeah. media. It's like, oh, it's a time suck. Oh, it's, it's loads of negativity. It's this, it's that. And yeah, there's plenty yeah. of that on there. But in my opinion, social media is, is, is a tool, is a vehicle. And the reality is of where we're at now as a society is you have to be, if, if you want to be building a business on the back of your craft, um, be it a part-time business or a full-time business, the reality is you have no option but to throw yourself into social media. Um, right, because right. if you're able yeah. to utilize it properly um, and have a good system in place on how you use it, it is phenomenal. It's, it's built careers for people, right. you know, just, sure. just having a good social media presence. And a lot of it is not down to, yeah, people have this perception that you've got to be on it 24 hours a day. You've got to take millions of pictures. Um, and if I'm, if I may, just to kind of wrap up, if I may just offer a couple of bits of advice with the, yeah, please. With, with, with the social Absolutely. media is a big piece of advice I always give to people and I'll encourage your, your audience is what you should do. You should work smart, not, not hard when it comes to creating uh, the posts that you're going to put up on social media. And what I mean by that is don't sit down every day thinking, right, I've got to take a picture today of what I'm going to post today. What you should do, a big encouragement I give to people is do batch filming and recording. Okay. Mm. So when you sit down to take some pictures, rather than just taking one or two pictures, what you should do is plan to take a whole collection of pictures. Okay. Um, And do that in one go. Um, So find a couple of nice spots to take your pictures, have all your, your train, your crafts ready. And then what you want to do, you want to take loads of pictures ready in one go. Um, have them all ready to go. Then over the coming days and weeks, 
you can just drip feed those out, mm. you know, so you're not having to think about, oh, God, what have I got to post today? Because you've already got mm-hmm. a library of pictures ready to go. Um, right, right. And also what you want to do, you want to start thinking about certain themes of, of what it is you want to post. Um, so rather than being completely random, you know, start to think alongside a bit of a theme. And a big, a really good, good exercise I always encourage people to do if you're unsure of, of you know, what pictures to take and, and kind of how to create a bit of an identity regarding your posts. And that is what you should do. You should take a day out, copy your favorite beverage and get on your phone. And what you should do is you should be looking through dozens and dozens of profiles to do with your particular discipline, right? And what you do when you're looking through those profiles, you should be looking out for certain things. You should be looking at what type of pictures is this profile taking? You know, um, what aesthetic do they have? What kind of what kind of look and feel do they evoke? You know, when you're looking at their posts, when you're looking at their video clips, etc. Um, and so basically it's like reconnaissance, you know, <laughs> you're taking time. And when you see profiles that really pop out, because like you said, there's some profiles out there that take some amazingly amazing pictures, amazing videos. Yeah. Um, what you should do, rather than just appreciating it for what is what it is, you should take a step back and ask yourself. What is it specifically I like about their photos? Like, what is it? What what is it they're doing? Right. So, a quick example. Um, I believe you've had him previously on 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 a podcast. Is uh, Yoav, right? Yeah. So Yoav takes yeah. beautiful pictures, beautiful uh, photography, does. videography. Um, and I always encourage people to say, well, look at what Yoav's doing, and and ask yourself. You're kind of doing a bit of investigative research in your head. And ask yourself, well, what is it about his pictures? Because everyone's taking pictures of spoons, but what makes his pop, right? Um, right. And once you start looking into things like that, you start to notice certain commonalities, you know? Um, and once you do that with a bunch of profiles, um, you can then start to borrow those elements uh, to kind of start helping you with you and your photography, you know? and the type of images and the little video clips that you're you're taking. So rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, look at what others are doing. Um, and obviously you don't copy, but what you do is you kind of use it as inspiration for your own. Yeah. Um, and then you use it as kind of crutches in the beginning um, until you kind of find your own flavor. But it's really important that you start to think about your, your kind of brand identity, about the look and feel of what you're doing. Because a lot of the profiles I find that don't, really hit the chord is because they're kind of throwing a bunch of stuff out there mm-hmm. you know um and it doesn't look good from a brand perspective so so when it comes to taking pictures on social media you've got to be a lot more organized and a lot more strategic about it i can assure you of one thing that the majority of the really good profiles within our space are not accidents right right yeah, they're purpose. not right <laughs> trust me make it they make it look like it is but it's not right they're very strategic and i don't mean that in a very conniving way i mean just generally they're very strategic right right the kind of pictures they're taking the look and feel the aesthetic everything it's all very very kind of organized it's very structured you know Mm -hmm. but when you look at it there's a perception that oh it's done kind of very much on the fly um but i can assure you now the majority and i know some of them personally it is far from on the fly you know, <laughs> it's very strategic what they're doing. It's very organized and very structured. And you kind of have to be like that in order to have a profile on social media, in particular Instagram, that really <clears throat> pops um, and that really has an appeal. And just to kind of wrap up on that, 
you really have to embrace all of that because listen, you could be producing beautiful craft, but if your if your profile is not great, if your aesthetic is not great, if your po- if your pictures are mediocre, I'll tell you right now, you're gonna struggle. Mm. You know, you're mm-hmm. really gonna yeah. struggle. I know people who are producing the most incredible craft, but really the pictures and the way they present themselves is terrible. Right. Um, right, and right. They, they struggle to sell, if anything. Um, but right. then the irony yeah. being, all it takes is just a little bit of work, uh, a little bit of kind of uh, um, gaining some skills from a lot of plethora of, of free content on YouTube. Um, and all of a sudden, in a very short space of time, you can really transform your profile, you know. Um, and it is things like, you know, just make sure you pick a good name for your profile, either a personal name or a brand name. Um, think about a bit of a color scheme. Um, definitely think about some form of logo to one degree or another. Um, right. You know, so just try and tick a few boxes, uh, which aren't rocket science, but just ticking a few boxes will immediately elevate your brand. You know, um, if you've got some random Instagram name like Screw Nails twenty four sixty nine, you know. You know, <laughs> Minnesota Viking or something, right? Um, and then, like, you know, your your username is like, you know, Toyota, whatever, right? And it's like, it's like some random kind of name. And it, like, people are going to look at it. What the hell is that, right? So, so try and think of a bit of a name that kind of try and you know, has some consistency. You know, uh, write you know a bit of a clean bio um, if you can. You know, have a domain name that matches your your social media name as well mm-hmm. so if you've got a big right. giveaway is if you've got a brand name on instagram which is you know xyz but your website is abc right <laughs> um there's a complete disconnect you know sure. in what you're doing yeah. and just doing little little things they're very subconscious but immediately from a consumer point of view when they're looking at your profile because when people are buying your craft item this is the one sticking point I always have with a lot of craftspeople is they think, well, I produce a good, a good craft item. That's it. What more do I need to do? Not realizing <laughs> that there are hundreds, if not thousands of good people that are just as talented as you are, right? right. Especially in spoon carving. I mean, there are thousands right. of amazingly talented spoon carvers out there, right? Which Absolutely. is amazing to see. But at the end of the day, you know, people, obviously the bar has been raised, which is a good thing. But people, in terms of the mass market, people are very judgmental, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. if you've got some mm-hmm. naff Instagram name pointing to some random website with some random other name, with some random pictures and some random videos, uh, you know, there's some a picture of your spoon and another one's of you, know, you taking apart your Toyota engine. You know, um, and like <laughs> just like this randomness, right? Um, right. And, and it's like people are going to look at it. What the hell? Who's the hell this cow? You know, who's this cowboy? You know. Um, <laughs> and I tell you what, they're just not going to bother. Uh, you know. Um, right. Sure. And so, just tidying up a few elements, I really encourage your audience is just take a bit of a moment out, just just kind of do a bit of an audit of your of your social media profile. You know, um, and it doesn't take a lot to do. And immediately you're going to notice this different perception people will have now when they go to your profile. Because coming back to what I said a moment ago, people are not just going to look at your craft item. They're going to go to your profile. They're going to, and ultimately what people are buying into is they're buying into how you make them feel. Right. That's ultimately how you make them feel. Um, 
For example, if you're carving a spoon and you just bung a spoon up for sale, that's one thing. But if all of a sudden you build up a bit of a story around it, for example, relating it to where you live, you know, you, know, you went out to, to pick up the wood in your pickup truck and, you know, the, 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 the tree was on a property that's been family owned for three generations and blah, 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 blah. Now, all of a sudden, you're telling a much more different story, you know, rather than, oh, here's a spoon. It's 20 bucks. Right. <laughs> that was right. like, well, now you're completely with about, you know, 400 other makers. Exactly. Right. That are selling the spoon. So, so true. So I encourage people, look, just take a bit of thought out, right? Try and think about how how your brand and you are perceived. Because I can tell you right now, you may not think people are judging you, but they are. <laughs> right. Um, and so taking a moment out to kind of clean up your overall presentation on your social media, uh, being a little bit strategic, you know, to have a bit of thought and attention to what it is you post, how you post, how often you post. All of these things, they build up this bigger tapestry in terms of how someone now who's looking at your work and thinking, you know, I'm thinking about buying this person's spoon or craft item. Um, it's a summation of all these other parts now, you know. Um, and that's why makers like Yoav and many others are, are able to be so effective at selling because they've built up, obviously, it's a very congruent persona, but they've built up yeah. a very you know, powerful persona around what it is they do. And they're able to translate that to the kind of the broader public, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they live in a particular lifestyle. Um, they're conducting themselves a certain way. So now you're not just looking at a spoon that they've carved. You're now seeing the story behind that spoon and the makeup. Um, yeah. So. I appreciate that. That's that's good advice because I, I'm actually, the past few years I've, I mean, always, ever since I've used, especially Instagram, I just, I've had this internal battle of, kind of what am I doing on here? And, and my life is so diverse. I mean, I do so many different things that um, I've been having this own, this, this discussion in my mind and with my wife, um, because we run, we run a, a farm based business and we do design and consulting for people with their land, with their land base. Um, and then I do all this Floyd stuff and then, you know, all these other different things in between. And I've just been, I've been in that position of thinking like, what am I doing on here? What's my, what's my goal with using this? Like, am I, what am I trying to sell something? Am I trying to tell stories? Like I just, I haven't really been clear on that. And so it's given me, I haven't had like the motivation or, um, yeah, I like, the, I like the way you put that where you kind of create a strategy because, you know, time is energy or, you know, so people say time is money, but your energy is, you know, is finite. You only have so much energy in, in the, in your life. And, uh, I mean, just, I just, just, just a quick thing with that is, um, you just touched on something very important and that is, you've just got to be clear with yourself what your kind of goals and objectives are, right? Yeah. Uh, right I know right. some people, it's not really a business for them, so they just post what they want. And I totally get that. There's no right or wrong with any of this. Um, my only motivation is to those, or, or encouragement to those um, who are looking to build some form of business on the yeah. back of what they're yeah. doing and, and selling their wares mm. in some shape or form is – when it comes to that, that's when you've got to be a lot more strategic about how you, you know, how you present yourself and what your profile represents. Yeah. Um, and then those things matter. And that's when you've got to start making some tough decisions, right? Um, for example, if you have three different interests, <clears throat> maybe it doesn't make sense to kind of dilute all of them into one profile, right? Mm -hmm. um, it may make sense to kind of splinter off um, and keep a particular interest completely separate. And a lot of that is obviously you've got to base that on your own 
merit and your own kind of needs needs and requirements um yeah but you do have to have that conversation with yourself to say well actually you know what is it i'm trying to do here um because i appreciate a lot of people start off with social media where it's just a very organic thing um Mm -hmm. and they kind of reaches a point i find with a lot of people um i mean you you asked about it earlier it's summer i have also got in the works as well where i want to do a few videos about um creating content for social media um and also about a bit of an audit right how do you clean up your instagram profile and whatnot um i don't want to go i don't want to go too much down the marketing route on my channel but <laughs> i find that it's, it's, it, it will i've reached a point where i get so many people asking me um yeah that i realize maybe like a really comprehensive video and giving them some very specific tips and suggestions um yeah. but the but the point being is that it's um it's something it is a difficult conversation to have because you've got to make some very tough decisions to kind of ax certain things um, and, and to kind of, you know, start focusing on other things. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're looking to sell your items on, on social media, then you have to have that conversation. Um, yeah. Because perception sure. is everything in terms of how people look at what you're doing, how you present your profile, how you then present your craft. Um, and I find that the ones that really do it well have a much more cleaner strategy, which the caveat being, a lot of that is also work in progress. Um, yeah. So you're not just going to kind of nail it in one go. You're going <laughs> to have a rough idea in your head. You kind of execute upon it and you kind of, you know, you kind of shift and tweak and navigate as you move forward, you know, yeah. um, and you yeah. eventually kind of get into a bit of a stride. Um, a little quick tip with that. If you look at a lot of profiles that you like the look of in terms of the content, um, it's always a good exercise. Always go back to their beginning posts. Mm. Um, and some of them delete their older posts because it doesn't reflect what yeah, they're doing. That's true. Um, but the ones that do leave that on there, you can see this stark journey yeah, yeah. where they've gone upon, where in the beginning it was typically quite scattered to where it is now, where it's a lot more refined. Um, yeah. YouTube is the big one for that. You can look at any YouTuber that you admire. I guarantee you pretty much every single time, go back to the early videos and it is like day and night difference. Yeah, I've done that. You know, yeah, it's true. Uh, and you're yeah. thinking, wow, this is the same person, right? Um, mm-hmm. But they've kind of iterated along the way. And, and they're at a point now after many kind of iterations that, yeah, they're, they're much more slick. They're much more streamlined. They're much more professional, much more fluent. Um, and obviously you start from somewhere, right? Coming back to kind of cross people on Instagram and whatnot. Um, but my encouragement is, is that, if you're looking to build some form of business on the back end of it, be it a very kind of small business as a side hustle all the way to something more, more kind of prominent, that is something you do have to think about. Um, and in terms of platforms, by the way, just one quick thing I did want to just quickly touch on is um, for cross people that are out there, I'm always getting asked like what platforms they should focus on um, yeah. in terms of social media. What you've mm-hmm. got to do, you've got to focus on, Focusing on the platforms that are going to yield more of a return. Um, mm-hmm. My biggest advice is you should technically go all in on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to crafts, Facebook generally waste of time. Um, YouTube yeah. is a very different animal. Um, yeah. It's not really going to help you sell your crafts a lot. Um, um, so in terms of specifically selling craft items that you make day to day, YouTube, unless you're really going to commit to YouTube, I wouldn't really bother uh, with YouTube. Pinterest is, is so-so. It's okay, but I don't really find it's amazing for selling. Mm. Um, TikTok, you could do, 
um, but was guess a very different animal on TikTok. Yeah. Um, but really, what you should be focusing on is Instagram, um, mm. and you should be utilizing all the different features on Instagram. A quick tip with Instagram is the moment they roll out a new feature, such as Reels or, or the things or like thereof, um, you should pounce on that, yeah. right? Oh, because when is and this applies to all the social media platforms, but Instagram specifically, when they roll out a new feature, that means they want to popularize that new feature. So the yeah, discoverability right. is a lot more enhanced. Oh, right. The organic reach is the organic sure. reach, higher. right? Um, yeah. So right. at the moment, Reels, even though it's been out for a little while, um, there's good discoverability on Reels. Um, sure. So a, little, a very important tip, when Instagram rolls out a new feature, yeah, you may be naturally averse to that particular feature, <laughs> but I can guarantee you, if you if you pounce on it, um, especially in the early days, um, then you can ride on a lot of reach mm. um, to kind of help you reach a much bigger audience. Uh, the, I know, nice. the, the cross people that I know that have done that, I've done really well from that. Um, yeah, that's what I've seen. They get a lot of views on the reels. Yeah, yeah, the reels is a big one. But Instagram ultimately um, really is where you should put your focus. Um, you should pounce on the new features uh, and you should really get to grips with um, the general functionality, but there's a lot you can do in Instagram. A lot, a lot of things people don't realize, you know, um, because another thing as well, and this is obviously out of the remit for, for this conversation, but um, a really powerful feature with Instagram, a lot of people don't realize is you can integrate it directly with Shopify. Right. Yeah. Uh, and um, not enough people are aware of that in our space. So what that means is now is within the Instagram ecosystem, you can facilitate and process payments yeah you know streamlined people can buy within stories they can buy with not and not even leave the app you know um and stuff like that it's all beautifully integrated so really what you should be doing if if i were to encourage your audience is to go all in on instagram and really get to know the inner workings of what instagram does um and it will really serve you well um and you can reach a really good audience um and doing it right, you're then able to build a very good business. I know, I know people that have gone from zero to a hero uh, on Instagram. Um, yeah, me too. You know, um, and, and they're just selling out. doesn't matter what their craft discipline is. They can't even yeah. keep up. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I've seen that. I, I know someone personally that has, has done that, built a super successful craft business. So that's great advice, Zed. I appreciate that. That's... that's um... It's, it's, yeah, it's something that is not, it's not innate to those that are messing with wood all day. I don't feel like so. Right. Um, I appreciate that. Um, well, shoot. I know we could keep talking. Uh, Mike's Mike, unfortunately has to run. He's, he's on, he's a day job. Yeah. Nine to fiver. So he's, well, not nine to fiver, but. Three to 11. <laughs> <laughs> three to 11. Um, so unfortunately we do have to, to wrap it up here. Um, but it's been a fantastic talk. I, I, the insights you've given of, I think it's a unique angle that we're not going to, we haven't gotten so far really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think that will be really valuable to our listeners, especially a lot of the people that are either hobby or, you know, part-time full-time crafts people. There's a lot of little nuggets in there. I'm going to, I'm definitely going to take some of those, uh, with me and, and hopefully improve my strategy. So I actually have one <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to begin with. Uh, just, just, um, just one thing, if I may, with that yeah, the marketing is obviously what i do day to day right um right, right but if if and this is a big if 
if it helps your audience kind of moving forward that, you know, you want to do a specific podcast just on the marketing for for, yeah. for crafts and, and kind of green, you know, green woodworking in particular, um, I could talk for hours. Right on, on, oh, on yeah, the, that'd be awesome. That would be cool. We can do a part two. Yeah, because I, I it's summer, I, because I don't want to kind of steer away and set outdoors, right, with, with sure, what sure. I talk about. But at the same time, right. it's been bugging me for a long, long time. But I, don't, I really want to yeah. genuinely help as many of the craft people that are out there with, with yeah. the marketing. Um, it, it, and once again, I'm just throwing this out there. I don't want to be putting you guys on the spot, but if, if, <laughs> yeah, no, if, this if, is very generous. If, if you feel only if your audience feels that, yeah, they they can fire a load of questions to you in in relation mm. to marketing. Um, yeah, a lot of it will, awesome. will be in relation to the different social media platforms, uh, e-commerce, yeah. um, you know, yeah. the, the website, building a website, um, you know, yeah. uh, um, and so forth, um, and all the kind of and the branding and all of that jazz. Um, mm. maybe once again, I just throw this out there. If people have got it. loads of specific questions to say, well, specifically this and specifically that, um, if there's enough of a demand for it, and if it's something you're up for, um, I have no problem whatsoever coming back on for a round two where we dive deep into the marketing. Awesome. Um, that'd be sweet. Let's do it. And offering yeah. a lot of kind of very specific kind of tidbits, because once again, that will negate its own kind of in-depth discussion. But, sure. um, but I just sure. kind of thought I'd, I'd kind of throw that out there. That's great. No, thank you. I Very, think we generous. Should do it. Very generous. If you're listening idea. right now and you have a burning question, yeah, send it to us and we'll put it in a folder and we will we'll line that up. That'd be fantastic. I, yeah. I think we should do it. Yeah. Um, because we that's one thing we want to do moving forward is trying to integrate more uh, listener input because you know it's, it's we're having a conversation the three of us. Um, but I know there's a lot. I get a lot of messages on our Instagram, especially of you know people just sending little things based on something they heard. So. Yeah. I love the idea of having that interactive because I'm sure people have so many different questions yeah. when it comes to the marketing side. It's, it's, uh, cause that's what makes or break, you know, makes or breaks what you do in terms of earning money from it. So, can, 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 awesome. can, can I offer you one piece of marketing advice? You guys specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You should, yeah. What can we do to improve our podcast? <laughs> First and foremost, and I'll say this with complete honesty, you two are very good yeah. hosts. Okay. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you bounce you. off each other really well. You present really well. You 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 have a good flow. Uh, you ask good questions. If there's one big piece of advice I would encourage you two to think about is when you're recording these podcasts, is to do it in a video format. Oh yeah, we've we've thought that up already. Yeah. Just, my uh, dad, my dad actually, he was one of the first people that he listened to some of them, and he's like, man, if I if there's a video to go with it, it would just be so much. He, and he meant not so much the video of the interview, but like a video showing almost like a slideshow that shows aspects of what we're talking about. Yeah. But you mean like a video of us talking. Yeah. Like so the Joe was, Rogan podcast. That's it. That's it. We just need to shave our heads and talk about, talk about elk, <laughs> elk meat and uh, MDMA. But, it's, um, but if you, um, but even on Zoom, which is obviously what we're talking over at the moment, you can record yeah. separate video channels yeah, um, yeah. and stuff. But the reason why I say video is because, um, once again, I don't want to get too much into this. I'm, I'm kind of conscious of your time. But the one, yeah. the, re- the big, big reason why I state that is because video in general is king, mm-hmm. right? Video sure. is yeah. king. And when you look at YouTube, YouTube is a behemoth. Uh, when mm-hmm. it comes to content uh, and the way content mm-hmm. is consumed. Um, so when you're recording these podcasts, the audio is fantastic. 
And that obviously goes out as a, as a dedicated podcast. But if you were to, at the same time, record it as a video, then obviously that can now go out as a video on YouTube. Okay. Sure. Um, and assuming on kind of how much time you have, you can also break the podcast up into little mini sections, like clips. Right, little clips. Right? Yes. Um, yes. And yeah. put those out. But the videos have actually more virality and reach than, um, than the audio. Um, and so I can yeah. guarantee you, you will reach a much bigger audience just st yeah. strictly through the video formats um, right. uh, when you're when you're on YouTube. Because um, also yeah. this, there's discoverability as well. So if people are looking out for certain makers or, or certain topics, um, then obviously your videos will pop up, thus kind of bringing yourself to a to a, oh, a, 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 wide, point. a wider audience. Good point. Um, good point. And that kind yeah, of like you, we kind of veer off into like keywords, et cetera, et cetera. Um, sure, sure. But yeah, now what you're yeah. doing is just the way you got to think about the the video podcast is or content in general. Imagine it like a net, okay. Mm -hmm. And the 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 bigger and the longer distance you're able to cast the net, the more people you're able to attract, right? right? And get the attention right. of. Um, and yeah. video is amazing for that, absolutely yeah. amazing. Right. And it has a very powerful evergreen format to it as well. Mm. You know, mm, right. an interview now will be just as interesting now as it will be two years from now right yeah um definitely. so it's just a really really big encouragement that you know uh, awesome. you guys Appreciate should integrate it. the video format as well um great and uh and yeah well we're, mo we're moving into a new office office space hopefully in the studio. next month it'll be our studio <laughs> yeah um so that'll make it easier we're yeah gonna, it'll be a little more focused space for sure um, but yeah we've definitely toyed with it and just We've, we've, I think we've, we've, we've surmounted the hurdles of audio. Yes, we have. <laughs> so we might be to ready degree. to surmount the video hurdles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it sounds like Zed will help us out. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm, I'm looking around thinking, am I? But yeah. Um, but, 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 but yeah. Who, me? <laughs> but no, in, in all seriousness, yeah, if you need any pointers or whatever, then yeah, feel free to kind of reach yeah. out. So awesome. awesome. Thank you, Zed. Well, Very generous. I think I think a, a marketing with Zed part two episode is definitely in order. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll talk about that. Um, wow, wow. Uh, we could definitely cover a lot more ground. But uh, if you've listened before, Zed, then you know our famous last question, <laughs> and that is, what is Sloyd to you? Marketing. <laughs> marketing. Buy here now. Click the payment button. I'll take PayPal. Uh, no. Uh, what, what does Sloyd mean to me? Do you know what? I knew the question was coming and I didn't think about it beforehand. So, <laughs> so I'm sitting there thinking, what, what Sloyd means to me is, I see Sloyd as an umbrella where multiple, multiple different crafts and disciplines come together. Um, mm -hmm. They overlap, they interweave, they interlink, and they're all kind of connected to each other in some shape or form. And what right. I find for me Sloyd represents is a, a coming together of skills, but also people. Um, mm. You know, the following bit, what I'm about to say is going to sound really, really cheesy, right? But <laughs> for me, I see it as the, 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 as the absolute truth. And that is today more than ever, we live in, in, in what is perceived a very largely polarized world. You know, mm -hmm. we're judging mm -hmm. people on political views, on ethnic lines, on, 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 on policy, on this, on that, and on a whole manner of things. And right. when I do 
when I'm involved in the Sloyd space in particular, the one thing I notice is when I'm sitting down and carving with somebody, honestly, all of that stuff just goes out the window. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I truly mean Indeed. that. Right. Where yeah, we're sitting yeah. there. I don't know. Certain people may have certain opinions when it comes to politics or when it comes to this or when it comes to that. But when I see the Sloyd community as a whole, I have a, a policy for myself that I have strictly no discussing the politics or religion. None. Like yeah, zero. Me too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. disrespect your, your opinions on things. Um, I have friends that come from all different backgrounds and my thing is when we're sitting down and we're sharing this space, especially in the space of Sloyd, that that's the last thing I would want creeping in, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And a couple of times I've seen it at events where people try to bring in some of the, some of the politics and thankfully everyone's just unanimous, unanimously just kind of shut it down, right? Mm, Said, right, good. this is not happening here, right? Um, <laughs> so coming back to what Sloyd means to me, for me, it's about, the sharing of the skills and also the sharing of the space, which is mm. equally important. Um, right. And I think we, all of us, regardless of our skill level, regardless of the background we come from, regardless of our age, gender, et cetera, we all have something to bring to the table, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, what I love about the slow community and, um, and you guys will experience this when you come across the pond one day is, <laughs> you know, sit down, nothing beats sitting around a fire going, cup of tea and all sitting down and relaxing and carving mm. right um yeah, and everyone awesome. comes from completely different backgrounds but in that moment that space that we're sharing you know it's like yeah. we've left everything to one side and now we're just sharing that space so for me sloyd right. is about the space both in terms of the skills um but also in terms of the space itself of of the people that are involved that are equally important mm. sloyd is people that's it that's awesome appreciate that thank you zed awesome zed thank you well, zed. This well has put been, this has been a great chat man i know we could uh we could carry on and on so um we'll save that for another time um but definitely we will be in touch and uh last but not least let people know where they should go uh to find all your content yeah so the three best platforms are on youtube just do a search for zed outdoors and I'm also on Instagram, same, do a search for Z Outdoors. Those are the two best places. Um, the third link that I will give is in relation to the tutorials that I've done, which I've done a fair few, but I've got a lot more coming. Um, what I've done, I've created a dedicated page on my website where I've listed all the tutorials in subject order. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all on one page because I appreciate YouTube can be very difficult to navigate. Yeah. Um, so to make it easier to go to that page on my blog, I've got a separate URL that will take you to it. It's called ztutorials.com. So Z-E-D oh, nice. tutorials.com. Um, and it will take you straight to a page on my blog. And on there, as much as is possible, I've organized all of my tutorials that I've done up until now into specific subjects. Hmm. Um, so it's kind of like an encyclopedia. Nice. Um, and the hope is obviously moving forward, I'm going to add a lot more to that, uh, like a hell of yeah. a lot. Um, awesome. So that's the kind of third link that I will give, ztutorials.com, and that will take you to a page of my blog. Um, that will go on there. Quick side thing, I will be soon launching, and I'll mm. announce it both on my Instagram and YouTube, um, but I'm going to be uh, launching a spoon template library as well. Mm. Very nice. Um so what my goal is, I've already got a lot of work going on behind the scenes, but my goal is to make it the biggest 
and free uh, resource in the world for spoon templates from wow. many, Very many nice. different carvers. Very um, nice. Awesome. And uh, and the goal is to add to that on a on an ongoing basis. So I've already got tons of t- uh, templates ready to go, spoon templates, um, nice. and these are one hundred percent free, ready, you know, free to download. Nice. Um, and, and and that will be um, announced on my Instagram and, and YouTube. I've actually also got the URL for that as well. What was it again? I've forgotten. It's a spoon templates dot com. Oh, um, nice. So shockingly, it was available when I went to buy it. Yeah, that's so, very good. So, so I've got a spoon templates without an S and, and, and with an S as well. So spoon template.com. Um, and that will take you to a page. There's nothing on there at the moment, but that will be launching very soon. Um, and that will be, my hope is to make it the world's largest collection of free spoon templates. Wow. Um, so nice. Into, That's awesome. Man. So download, nice. So. That's very good work. Well, <laughs> that's, that's great. Well, it's been great chatting Zed. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk again soon. I appreciate you guys having me aboard. It was a pleasure to talk to you as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, same here. Yeah, have a good night. All right, take you care. You as well. Ed. Take care. Peace out. Bye-bye. Peace. Sloyd out. <laughs> All righty, man. That, that was, was awesome. Yeah, that was so much, so much good knowledge there and, and information that a lot of us can use. Seriously, absolutely. We'll definitely. I think a round two is in order. Mm. So if you have any questions, um, shoot them our way. Contact at sloydcast.com if you want to email them. Or shoot a message on Instagram. We'll stow those away in a folder and we'll bring them back out for another episode with Zed mm-hmm. on marketing. Mm-hmm. This is actually something we've been chatting a little bit about. Uh, some more topical episodes with some of the people we've already spoken to or people we haven't spoken to yet. But just uh, a topical thing where people can chime in, ask questions, a little more back and forth than our, our regular just sit down chats. So uh, what else? We're just carrying on. We're holding on by the skin of our teeth yeah <laughs> trying to find time we're like just you. uh trying to make it through yeah but um yeah thanks for listening we don't have much to offer at this point we're yeah. uh we'll be getting more organized here as time goes on we're moving our space to have a little more a setup studio space um and we'll finally get our website going we got some merch we're working on we're just trying to iron out the details before we let that out into the world yeah and some ways for people to contribute if you want. Um, yeah. If you find value, as always, let us know. We'll accept any value. Yeah. Time, treasure, talent, <laughs> whatever you got, let us know. Free advice. <laughs> Free advice, marketing <laughs> advice. Uh, yeah. Anything, Mike? Yeah. No, no, I'm looking forward to the next one. So we'll line up awesome. someone, hopefully. Uh, All right. Slow it out. out. <laughs>